1: My pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And I wanted to talk about the just body blow of the high unemployment reported last Friday. 14.7% official unemployment rate And that number is one that really takes you way, way back in American history to have unemployment like that. But the crazy thing is that the real unemployment rate is actually likely higher than that. Um, The folks at Barron's Magazine estimate that the real unemployment rate, what's referred to as U6, which is a number that economists use that records people who are involuntarily part-time people have given up looking for work whatever that that is around 23 percent and Forbes estimates it's at 27 percent so let's just say 25 percent and that's like piling on from me but the reality is that we are in a situation where we're starting to turn the corner. There are any of a number of indicators that show that this is as bad as it's going to get on the job front and that things will get better as we look forward. One of the examples that I look at is manufacturing. Manufacturing employs a relatively small percent of American workers but has spinoff effects and manufacturing that's been flat on its back through the last couple of months is emerging quicker than service, the service economy where the unemployment rate has actually been very heavily skewed extremely high. So manufacturing in a position to start cranking back up, brings up a second question, are people actually going to buy the stuff that manufacturers make? Well on that I look to data coming in from China and there's a write-up in the Financial Times about how manufacturers that are cranking back up for local consumption, not for export, but for local consumption in China are seeing reasonable demand what they are are manufacturing what they're selling and that the sales fall versus historical is tiny somewhere single digits so there is some amount of pent-up demand after periods of lockdown where people are buying manufactured goods now that's the good news is that people working in manufacturing are going back. The tough news is what's being done to keep people safe who go back into a manufacturing facility. So there's a number of steps that employers that are thinking this through are doing that may raise the cost of production some, but spreading out shifts, where which creates an efficiency in a factory environment where you don't have as many people on the factory floor at one time, but the factory runs more hours per 24 than it normally would. So you can have people in a safe situation in terms of distance from each other. There are different technologies that manufacturers can employ that see that workers are safely distanced from each other. The other factor with manufacturing is not always, but manufacturing workers tend to make more money per hour than people in service work. And so those workers coming back helps pump additional money into the economy. Now on the service side, service side is going to come back slower than anybody would really like. And the reason is is that in polling, roughly 70% of people say that they are still reluctant to engage in a number of activities that would involve them going into stores, restaurants, um, getting a haircut, anything like that, that until people get past that reluctance, the fear, whatever it is, in going and engaging in those activities, the service side of the economy will trail the recovery that is now coming in manufacturing and the automakers in Michigan have been green lighted to reopen their manufacturing facilities and Elon Musk is in a knockdown drag out fight with California over the Fremont California plant that makes the Tesla vehicles in the United States where they are still not allowed for public health reasons to reopen and we'll see what the courts end up deciding on that score. Now, post a question for me if you have one at Clark.com slash ask. And producers, Kim and Joel, are alternating asking your questions for you. And Kim, I want to start with something I thought was really quite illuminating. And that, that is, I'm so bad at remembering who asked the last question <laughs> to alternate between you and Joel that we have a kind listener who wrote a software package so that I would be able to remember. And I hope it doesn't get to that. Who was that nice person who did that?
0: Look up his name right now.
1: But I thought that was really clever that, that there was an easy solution like a toggle. So I would remember whether to go to you or Joel with a question.
0: So, so impressive. It tickled me so much and made my day. So special thank you to Byron.
1: So Byron, thank you. And if I keep being as clueless as I've been, maybe we will employ your software answer to my inability with my flakiness to remember Whose turn it is. But Kim, you are up first.
0: That is true. And this is from Janet in Oklahoma. She says, we have a $75 gift card to a chain restaurant that is not planning on opening again after COVID. She's tried several times to call their customer service line, but can't get past the computer answering program. Is there any way that she can get her money back or use her gift card elsewhere?
1: unfortunately unless you have the ability to use it at that restaurant the money is dead to you now the only thing i can think of is if based on how you said you called and it was a central number and things i'm gathering it's a restaurant that has multiple locations potentially in other states if you have a friend or family member who lives in a place where the restaurant is reopening you could give them the gift of that card, and they could use your money. Um, Normally, I would tell you to go on the uh, gift card exchange sites that we have listed at Clark.com and see if you can get any money for that card, Uh, but people are really afraid to buy restaurant gift cards right now because they don't know which restaurants are, in fact, going to survive. It's possible that money will go to dust if you can't find another area of the country where it's open and have a friend or family member you can send it off to but at least go to clark.com go to our guide to the gift card exchange sites and see if there is any marketable value right now on that gift card that maybe you could sell it for so many cents on the dollar to someone else joel uh, Clark, it's Kim's turn. <laughs> Just <kidding>. very funny, <laughs> very funny.
2: <laughs> Sorry, had to had to go there. Uh, Clark Rich wants to know. He says, "I'm currently on unemployment. Is this taxable when I do my taxes this year?"
1: So, at the federal level, it is, and it'll depend on your state if you have a state income tax. If it is, because it's considered to be unemployment insurance, so it, it is taking the place of your paycheck and therefore it is taxable income. Uh, In a typical year that's not a big issue because most states pay such puny unemployment compensation that it would never amount to any real money, but under the uh, coronavirus relief with the 600 additional dollars per week, now the stakes are higher and the tax that you might owe is significantly higher as well, but better to have the $600 federal overlay through July, then not have that money. Kim?
0: Lynn in New York says, Hello, and thank you for taking the time to answer so many questions. I'm wondering when the best time is to take out a student loan for our son. He's going to be a junior in college in the fall. We already have paid for his first two years through our savings. But the remaining two years, we're going to need loans. Should we be applying for them now? Or is there an advantage to waiting? Would the loan rates possibly go down in the summer?
1: Yeah, so the loan rates are already estimated for the fall of 2020. And the rates officially reset, if I remember right, July 1st. So you would want to wait and see what they are then. But there's another reason to wait for this fall we don't know if colleges are going to reopen in a normal way for this fall and a lot of students are going to choose if it's virtual classrooms again this fall to not go back temporarily to college Uh, particularly people who are attending private colleges and universities have not found that it's been worth the money to go into these virtual classrooms instead of traditional classrooms. You're just not getting the value that you're paying for at a private school tuition level. So I would not borrow money for fall until there's a clearer picture as to whether or not college campuses are going to reopen. Having said that, as best I can tell, uh, the federal student loan interest rates are going to be the way they're set based on an index are going to be the lowest perhaps we've ever seen for the variety of federal student loans. So that's the good news. I just hope that the college campuses can reopen safely because that's the environment that kids should be in and to pay the big money to not be in that environment makes no sense to me.
2: Joel? Clark Corey says, I'm fortunate to be in a good spot financially during coronavirus. My employment is stable, and I have comfortable cash reserves on hand and a high-yield savings account at Discover, earning 1.4%. I won't need access to most of my savings for the next 12 to 36 months, though. So is there a better place to park some or all of my savings during this time period?
1: Definitely in an online bank CD, because the likelihood is the online Bank savings rates are going to decline over this year, and there's a big advantage in going into the CDs. If it's money you know you're not going to need, buy the one-year CDs. They're paying upper 1% with the online banks, and then you know that's what you're going to receive, and if there's money that you think you might need, you don't want to do that. There's also a strategy that I read on one of the financial blogs I read that says if you can get a really great rate, which by today's standards is something in the twos on a five-year CD, that it may be a good idea for you to buy a five-year CD knowing that if you want to cancel it early, you're going to have typically a penalty to do so. But even with that penalty, if rates rise at some point during the five years, it may be worth you taking that penalty, locking in a longer-term rate where you're basically hedging the future of interest rates, knowing you've got the five-year rate, if that turns out to be best, but that you could cancel that, take the hit, and then reinvest, well, it's not investing, rebuy a CD, at what might be future higher rates. I hope that made sense. It's time for today's Clark Rave, as I want you to know during a time of real adversity for us as a nation and as a world, there are individuals and groups making a real, real difference to help our society and help each other. And a listener named Steve from Arizona wanted to make sure that we knew about Rhonda Shearer who is someone who back after September 11th did everything she could to help people who were first responders and others and now has spent $600,000 that she did not have borrowed the money in order to buy masks, gloves, hand sanitizers and face shields for people who are first responders and medical personnel in the New York metro area. So she has done everything she could to deal with this enormous shortage, putting her money that she didn't have where her heart was, borrowing this money. And I think this is one of the examples of what we as people are capable of where we do everything we can to help out you know we hear the stories of people doing the wrong thing often the stories of people doing the right thing they don't make news so I want you to know that this is really great she has a truck that runs around by hospitals and in the truck, there's a big sign, that's taped to the side, show your hospital ID, get free PPEs, personal protection equipment. And this is really extraordinary that someone would spend herself into debt. There's now a GoFundMe page to try to raise money to deal with some of the $600,000 she has laid out and borrowed money You can see it on GoFundMe at Cut Red Tape for Heroes. And the four is spelled the number four instead of F-O-R. And people have already donated $430,000 towards what she has spent. And that shows all of us working together to make a difference. Glad you took time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And I want to give you two brief updates about the stimulus money, the helicopter money of $1,200 for an adult, $500 for a dependent up to age 16. So number one, this Wednesday is the last date for you if you don't have direct deposit set up with the IRS to go to irs.gov and put that in otherwise you'll have to wait for a check to be mailed to you for the stimulus money and that apparently is going to take for some people all the way to the beginning of fall to receive that money. So there's a big advantage to receiving direct deposit except if there's any garnishment that you're facing You don't want direct deposit. You want to actually receive a check for the stimulus money, even though it means you're going to have to wait. Second, we've had a number of questions, various situations, where people receive stimulus money who were not qualified, either for a child who was no longer eligible, who the IRS, uh, the feds made a mistake at the treasury and sent $500 for a kid who's not 16 and under or they sent money for someone who's now deceased and at first there was a a general belief that people would be able to keep that money you cannot keep it and at clark.com we have a brief article on how you return that money there are various procedures in place for you to return money that you were not supposed to receive better for you to return it than to have to worry and looking over your shoulder that at some point the feds are going to come after you for the money. So we have had more questions about buying life insurance in the last two months than we've had all total in the last five or six years. People have been much more concerned about mortality as a result of coronavirus and I wanted to tell you there are strange distortions going on in the life insurance market right now. One that I saw an item on in the Wall Street Journal is that there are a handful of life insurers that are no longer willing to write insurance for people who are past age 60 or 65 because the mortality rates with people... From coronavirus, of older Americans, is quite high and is actually uh, very low to fairly low to almost non existent the earlier in age you go, particularly below age 50. So, insurers, some of them are saying, you know what, we can't calculate the risk for ourselves writing insurance for people beyond a certain age right now. So we're just not gonna do it. That's a small number of insurers. There's a bigger factor. Insurers live off the money you pay in premiums being invested. Well, right now, insurers can't earn the kind of return on the money they're investing that they have historically. And so insurers are becoming, in some cases, more picky about who they will insure And in others, maybe charging more for insurance. Here's what I want you to know. This is a very large industry with a huge number of players, thousands of companies that write life insurance. So it has never been more important that I can recall in my lifetime for you to shop with multiple insurers Four quotes. If you're buying a uh, 15, 20, 25, 30 year level term, 10 year level term, whatever it is, shopping it right now is ultra significant. Because if some insurers are raising their rates because they're worried about not the actuarial tables, you know, when somebody's going to die by their numbers but instead what they can earn on the premiums you're paying, that could mean one insurer is 50 percent more expensive potentially for the same coverage as another. It is really important that you use one of the shopping services where you can compare insurer to insurer. I have on Clark.com a guide to walking you through how to buy term life insurance and how to shop those premiums with different companies once you settle in on what length of level term you want. Level term, if you don't know what that means, it is for probably 95% of people the right kind of life insurance to buy because there's no investment in it. There's no savings accounts in it. It only pays your survivors in the event of your death really simple, really cheap, and the premiums stay the same for the period of time you buy for 10 to 30 years. So it's there's never been a time where it was easy to shop from company to company and it's what you need to be about doing because of the unusual distortions in the marketplace. And I'm just going to ask, Producers Kim and Joel are (laughs) alternating, asking your questions
0: for you. And who's up first? That would be me, Kim. And this is from Thomas in North Carolina. He says, hi, Clark. First off, thanks to you and your team for the incredibly useful programming during these unprecedented times. You've been so helpful for so many of us. All right. Here's his question. Clark, can you please explain what seems like a massive disconnect between the stock market and the actual economy? I find it so strange that on days when some of the most dismal economic figures happen, like unemployment claims, the stock market actually soars. What gives?
1: There are a lot of uh, general trends, factors involved in this because it's a real, huh? How could this be? I mean, here we are if the number of unemployed people is somewhere around 25% true figure of people unemployed, how could the stock market be doing as well as it is, at least for now? And there are these factors. Number one, stock market is a forward indicator, meaning that investors looking not at today, but looking down the road, see a better picture than what we feel today. Second, with the Federal Reserve doing everything it can to pump money into the economy, it lowers the interest rates that investors can earn on bonds and savings and things like that, meaning that relatively stocks become a better uh, investment, if you will, than going into other kind of things like bonds right now so people who want to have some return on their money are willing to risk more what would happen with the stock market by going into it versus going into things that are paying puny to nothing returns so that's a second factor a third is that if you look at what's really doing well in the stock market it's technology Technology stocks have benefited enormously, and going into this, technology stocks rec- uh, represented a big chunk of what made up market value of various indices like the Dow and the S&P and, the, of course, the NASDAQ most. And so a lot of companies aren't doing well, but when you look at the overall index and if is it going up or down or ha- going sideways... It's being so heavily influenced by those technology stocks. That's why it seems unusually good looking at the stock market picture versus the unusually bad employment figures and economic
2: activity figures in the United States. Joel? Clark Janice says, do you think that home loan interest rates will continue to go down or is now a great time to refinance?
1: Now is a great time to refi. There's no way to predict in the short or medium term which way interest rates are going to go. But if you look longer term, interest rates on mortgages are near certain to go up from these historic or near historic low levels. And the rates are so good, I would grab them. I want to say something my son-in-law showed that he's smarter than I am. So he and my daughter were in a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, and I kept saying, you should do a refi into a 15-year. You should do a refi into a 15-year. And so then he checked to see what would happen to their monthly payment, and he did not feel comfortable with that. So he and the mortgage broker came up with the idea of doing a 20-year loan, which I never talk about, and the math worked out beautifully they had 29 years left on their 30 they're now at a lower rate a roughly similar payment and they've shaved nine years off their mortgage by taking advantage of today's low rates you don't get as low a rate on a 20 as you do on a 15 obviously because the 15's the real break point on rates but it's still going to save them a lot of money. Kim?
0: Carol in Texas says, I'm about to retire within the next 12 months. I have a 401k with my current employer, and then I have three other 401ks from previous employers. Should I combine them all into one? Do I have to pay a penalty in order to do this? I don't really want to do any of it immediately because I want to give the economy at least a few months to recover. So maybe towards the end of the year. What do you think?
1: So... The reason to combine them is for simplicity's sake and also because it's something I addressed back in the winter, and that is a problem that people are having with old 401ks that you really don't pay that much attention to, a problem with people who try to steal that money knowing that people aren't really looking closely at the old 401ks. But I wouldn't worry about what the direction of the market is on when you combine them. But you only combine your old 401ks into your existing 401k if your existing 401k is a low-cost plan. Otherwise, what would be better is to take those old 401ks and put them into your own IRA with one of the low-cost players like the ones I list at clark.com. The only reason you would not do that is if you were in the midst of somebody suing you trying to get it, money of yours or whatever depending on your state money that's in retirement accounts like a 401k very heavily protected
2: money in an IRA may or may not be protected as well. Joel? Clark Meg says, I was hired in March to be a counselor for a nonprofit summer camp. Last week, I was informed that due to COVID, all camps were canceled and seasonal staff were not going to be kept on. Do I qualify for unemployment as I lost expected income? And if so, how do I prove I was hired as the camp hadn't started yet, so I don't have any W-2 or payment history with the organization?
1: This is one of the most difficult areas of unemployment, and producer Kim and I have read the Labor Department guidance from the U.S. Department of Labor and if you ever have insomnia you want to print out this guide that was done by the U.S. Department of Labor to the 50 states because I can tell you you'll fall right to sleep but in theory under the temporary coronavirus statute you are eligible for unemployment for a period of time while you're seeking new employment if you have a valid job offer that the job offer has evaporated. That has never happened before that I'm aware of. But you pointed out in the regulations in a very complicated way address how in the world do you, you can validate it based on the offer you had originally received and what they were going to pay you. But uh, getting your State Department of Labor to accept that documentation, process you for unemployment because of that offer that's now evaporated, it's going to be a slog, be patient and be persistent and go do your own search online so you find documentation on what you need to do if you are applying for unemployment based on a now withdrawn already received job offer. Kim, do you have anything to add to that based on all the incredible number of hours you have spent doing research on unemployment claims?
0: No, you you nailed it. It's in there. You're supposed to be protected. Whether or not your state is going to be able to follow these rules really leaves me with doubt and concern. But encouraging them to just try and try and try again, that's the way to go.
1: If you have a question for me, post it at clark.com slash ask, and then producers, Kim and Joel, are asking your questions for you. And Kim, what do you have?
0: This is from Amy in Colorado, and she says, Clark, I wanted to let you know that I heard that the SBA is giving assistance now to the agriculture sector. I haven't heard you mention it, and I don't know if it's being well publicized, and I wanted to make sure I could help you get the news out.
1: Well, thank you, and I appreciate that because... We have not talked about the just hideous effects on the agricultural market. And I think about the people who are having to um, slaughter their animals that they can't bring to market right now. And then we as consumers are facing higher prices and shortages in the supermarkets. We have such a distorted situation right now with food and farmers are really taking it on the chin brutally and mentioning that they have access to the special coronavirus SBA lending facilities is very important and I want to mention because I forgot to do so last week that the second round of PPP funding that originally was estimated to last only a few days is still widely available. A lot of businesses have found that the uh, methods for forgiveness are too strict and won't work for them and they have chosen not to apply for PPP money. Also a lot of others that attempted to apply on the first round and gave up because of the difficulty have not come back to try again on the second round and it's a whole different thing now. It's much much easier to find a lender that will process your PPP application and if you feel like you can qualify for partial or complete loan forgiveness you should get involved in the process and get it done. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.